and scripture reading will be from Psalms chapter 51 verses 1 through 4. Psalms 51 verses 1 through 4. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Block out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions <clears throat> and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Psalm 51 was penned by King David. And much like Ecclesiastes, written by his son Solomon, it was a song of confession because of the things that David had done. He had sinned with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and in his effort to cover up that sin, ultimately he murdered Uriah. Now, when God's prophet Nathan approached David, he came to him with a parable and he brought the king to the understanding of exactly where he was in his relationship to God. You recall the parable. A rich man stole a ewe lamb from his neighbor, the only ewe lamb that he had, though the rich man had flocks and flocks of sheep, and he served it in a meal the one who came and visited him. He, uh, because of his selfishness and his self-centeredness and his lack of concern for those less fortunate, the rich man was condemned by King David. Now, he, the king was so angry when we read the account, 2 Samuel 12, verse 5, he said, As the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die, but before he dies, he shall restore the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. 2 Samuel 12, verse 6. Now, it was at that very moment that we read those very well-known words from Nathan the prophet, Thou art the man. And then it was at that point that David came to the proper understanding of exactly what he did, the results of his actions, and the consequences of his sin. I believe at that point David surely was in one of the valleys of life. In fact, it may have been the darkest valley through which he would ever walk. And he chose to go there. He chose to go there. Now here's the thing we must remember. Normally, when we find ourselves in the valleys of this life, it is because of choices that we made. But our choices should not end there. We need to make another choice when we find ourselves in those valleys. Are we going to stop and live in that valley? Or are we going to get up, get out of the valley, and move on to the mountaintop? Don't stop when you are in the valley. 
And that is the title of this morning's sermon. Don't stop when you are in the valley. Last Sunday we talked about the giant who slew David. We talked about the things that happened in David's life. And now what we want to do is we want to see David get up. We want to see him realize what he needed to do and to do it. Thus the reason for God sending his prophet Nathan to the great king. He wanted David to see all those same things God did that we want to see. He wanted to see David get out of the valley. Get back on the mountaintop because you need to be on the mountaintop because one of these days you'll be back in the valley. And it is the mountaintop that will carry us on to the next mountaintop. This morning we want to learn from David's mistakes. We want to avoid David's poor choices. And we want to be able to understand that we can overcome sin in our lives no matter what the sin is. It may not be the sins of David, but we can still overcome. We can overcome the problems in this life if we will do that because any sin will prevent us from enjoying eternal glory with God. Something else we need to understand. For us to be able to access the process of being forgiven, we need to be able to get out of the valley, but in order to do that, we have to be confronted about sin, don't we? Now, it may need to come from another person like it did with Nathan to David. Or it might be that we need to confront ourselves understanding where we stand in our relationship with God and understanding that we need to do something to fix that situation, to come out of that valley, to get back on the mountaintop. And this morning, we're going to start with this. To get out of the valley, there must be confrontation. That's our first point. Often, confrontation of sin will shock the sinner. That's what happened to David, wasn't it? God sent Nathan, a man David respected, to confront him about his sin. He brought with him a parable. And within that parable, he explained some things that happened. And when David heard that parable, he ordered the man's execution. Isn't it amazing that a man who excused sin in his own life would be so harsh and critical when addressing sin in someone else's life. But that's how sin operates, isn't it? Now I don't see that so much as a state of arrogance on the part of David as, as so much a state of not being in reality. But that also is what sin does to us. Sin will take anyone who decides to partake in it out of proper reality, period. That's how it works. That's what Satan does. It takes from us our clear thinking, doesn't it? It causes a person to do things he would otherwise never do. We see that in David. We're talking about a man after God's own heart. We're talking about a man who loved God, who wanted to do everything God asked him to do a man who stood up against a giant in defense of the nation of Israel and his God. That's who we're talking about. And he did some things that he otherwise would never have done. 
And that's where Nathan helped David. God has always used people to reach people, hasn't He? Paul commanded this, Galatians 6, beginning with verse 1. He said, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Now, that is a characteristic that God wants His people to have, and I believe a characteristic that God has always wanted His people to have. Notice again what He said. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one. How? In the spirit of meekness. How many have read the account of David, or the account of Nathan confronting David, and heard the words of a man who was pointing his finger in the very face of David, had his brow furrowed, filled with anger and righteous indignation, and lifting up his voice and saying, Thou art the man. Now how do you like that, David? I used to kind of hear it that way. Because I was all for Nathan. I was all against what David had done. But you know, I don't hear it that way anymore. And here's why. Because sin is a killer. Sin is a killer. And I see Nathan standing before David, a man that he loved. I see him looking at David with tears running down his face, saying, Thou art the man in a spirit of meekness. Because he understood what sin will do to someone. The shock of that confrontation did exactly what it should always do. And it brought a feeling of shame on David. In 2 Samuel 12, David was reminded of all the things God had done for him. He had been chosen. He had been protected and saved. He was blessed and elevated to the throne of Israel. All of those things... God had given David more than he could have ever imagined. And if he wanted more, God said, if you thought that wasn't enough, I'd have given you more. Someone might say, and look at the king and say, and this is how you repay God who did so much for you, David? Now here is what we need to understand. Surely, David's heart was broken at the realization of what he had done. Not that he didn't realize and understand what he was doing was wrong, but he wasn't looking at it properly. And he needed someone to bring that to his attention. But now let's not be too hasty to condemn David. Now, in no way am I saying David was not guilty. In no way am I saying that God was too harsh on David. What I am saying is what God gave David pales in comparison to what he's given us. So let's not be too hasty to condemn David. God chose us. God wants us all to be saved. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4. He has saved us. Mark 16, 16. Those who have obeyed Him. He has elevated us to be a chosen people in a royal priesthood. 1 Peter 2, 9. So the difference between what God did for David and what God has done for us is that David's blessings at that time ended... When he died, he was no longer king of Israel. 
He was no longer wealthy in this world. He was no longer protected by God from his physical enemies. But our blessings are eternal blessings. They're spiritual blessings. One might say to to one of us, after all God has done for you, this is how you repay Him? And they would be exactly right. They would be exactly right. Like David, that ought to shame us when we consider sinning against God. In our passage, David acknowledged, Psalm 51 verse 4, Against thee, thee only have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, and thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Now David did not intend for the reader to believe that he did not sin against himself, that he did not sin against Bathsheba, that he did not sin against Uriah, that he did not sin against his infant son, and that he did not sin against the nation of Israel, because he did all of those. What he did want the reader to understand is that when we sin, we sin against God first. No matter who else is involved. We first sin against God. Now the purpose of that shame is to bring us to a godly sorrow. The purpose of that shame is to get our minds going in the right direction, to clear our thoughts and lead us to repentance. Now Paul said this, 2 Corinthians 7 verse 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Shame can bring about two very distinct reactions. We can be ashamed of what we've done because we are embarrassed and we didn't want someone to find out. Or we can be ashamed because of what we did and because of who we hurt. Now that's the shame that God is looking for. And rest assured, our sin will find us out. Numbers 32 verse 23. Or it will bring about this shame that leads to repentance. And that's what we want. And I think we see that in David. That's what happened to him. And that's why he penned the 51st Psalm. Don't you know that David carried that sorrow with him all the days of his life, even though God had forgiven him? He had the clear conscience of knowing that he was in a right relationship with God, but he still had the knowledge of the harm and the hurt that he caused to other people. Now, what we want to see is David overcome that, don't we? We want to see David overcome that, but before we can truly appreciate what David overcame, we need to understand what he overcame, right? Nathan's confrontation of David's sin brought about some very real and some very lasting consequences. That's our second point. First of all, Sin soils the person. It soils the person. David pleaded with God, Psalm 51, 2, Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. You know what sin does to us? Causes our souls to feel dirty. Peter said it was like a cleaned sow going back and getting in the mud hole, 2 Peter 2, 22. 
It will affect the life of the person. Left alone, sin will, will cause the Christian to be depressed. It will cause the Christian to feel worthless. It will cause the Christian, or anyone for that matter, to feel unloved. But do you see how Satan works? That's what he wants. Notice what he does. Satan will offer up sin in the form of the many temptations in this life, and he says this, Don't worry about it. Go ahead. You'll never be caught. It's okay. Everybody does it. And then you know what happens once your sin finds you out? He says, there you go. No one will ever love you. God can't forgive you. You're worthless. You might as well give up. So why bother? Aren't you glad Satan is a liar and can't be believed? Because that's not true, is it? Christ's sacrifice can wash away any sin that happens in this life, Matthew 26, 28. Sin soils the person. That's a consequence but it also saturates the mind. Psalm 51 verse 3. David couldn't get away from it. He said, it's always before me. He understood what he had done. He understood the, the heaviness of the sin, the burden that it places upon the person. He couldn't get away from it. Now, unbelievers in this world, now they may live as if they're not concerned with sin, but that is not the case. They may live in this life and say, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in a heaven or a hell, but when it comes right down to it, they're not so sure when they're facing death, are they? How many times have you read about confirmed atheists on their deathbed? They'll cry out, oh God, if there is a God. See, they're not so sure, are they? That's what sin does to us. The guilt of sin will fester like a sore and it will infect the whole life. There's no stopping it. And David understood that. In another psalm, he said this, Psalm 34, beginning with verse number 4. He said, I sought the Lord, and He heard me, and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto Him and were lightened, and their faces were not ashamed. He wanted rid of that shame, didn't he? It did what it was designed to do but it was also designed to go away. God doesn't want us to carry that. He doesn't want us to carry the guilt and the shame of sin for which we have repented and stay in the valley. Get out of the valley. Salvation brings with it a clear conscience, 1 Peter three twenty one. Notice what the apostle said. Comparing baptism to to the waters of the flood, he said, The like figure, wherein even baptism doth also now save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a clear conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God wants us to have a clear conscience, but He wants us to understand and to maintain the knowledge of what sin does for us. David had long since been forgiven of his sin, but he said it stays before me. He carried it with him. It's like a scar, isn't it? It's like a battle. God doesn't want us to stay in the valley and allow that shame and that, and that sin and, and that guilt to keep us there, but He wants us to maintain the knowledge of what it will do 
because we don't want to go back and He doesn't want that for us. Sin soils the Christian. It saturates the mind. And it will also sadden the heart. David lost all joy, didn't he? He lost all joy. But those who around him had lost their joy as well. Sin doesn't just affect the individual. We don't sin in a vacuum. David affected those around him. We study David so we can see him correct his path. Not to feel sorry for him. Let's keep that in mind. Let's not look at David and feel sorry for him in the sense that we feel like God was too harsh. Let's look at David and understand that he overcame and let's rejoice with him. You know, joy is a byproduct of a right relationship with God. If we're not in a right relationship with God, we don't have joy in this life. We cannot expect to have joy and sin all at the same time living together. Light cannot be where darkness is and darkness cannot be where light is. Jesus warned this, Matthew 6 verse 24. He said, no man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. We cannot serve God and and Satan at the same time. So let's not feel sorry for David because he's poor little David. Let's rejoice with David because he overcame. And he's the example we ought to follow. You see, sin affected his spirit. It caused him to behave in ways that he would not normally behave. 2 Samuel 12, beginning with verse 1. But he could have chosen not to do it. Let's not look at it like he couldn't help it. Sometimes we look at sin like it's an entity over here that's forcing us to do something. That's not the case. Sin is something we choose to do. It just simply is, right? There are things in this world that we change, that God never intended to happen. It's not some kind of a person or an entity that forces itself on us. And I think sometimes we look at sin that way. He didn't have joy until he righted his course and he found out where he needed to be. And he went back to God. He asked God to return the joy of salvation to him, didn't he? Notice Psalm 51 verse 8. He said, Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. I was chastised and rightly so. Now God, please bring back joy. And He did. He brought it back. It's very clear when we look at the life of David and we watch him come out of the valley onto the mountaintop that sin requires confrontation. Sin brings with it terrible consequences. But don't stop in the valley. Let's don't stop at the confrontation and the consequences. Let's move on up to the top of the mountain and notice the cleansing that David was given. That's our third and final point. For sin to be cleansed, we have to have confidence in God. We have to believe and understand that God can do what He said He can do and that He loves us even if we make mistakes. He doesn't condone them, but He still loves us. He'll punish us, but He still loves us. He won't allow us into heaven for eternal joy if we do not repent, but He still loves us. And God knew, or David knew, that God still loved him. And that was the emotion 
that spurred him on to victory. Now Satan's going to tell each of us, God doesn't care about you. God doesn't love you. God won't save you. Look at what you've done. That's keeping us in the valley, isn't it? I want us to remember, Satan is a liar and the father of lies. John 8, 44. We can't listen to Satan. Satan will keep us in the valley if we allow him. And we don't have to stay in the valley, and that's the good news. God wants all people to be saved. And because of that, He has provided a way of escape. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Now, in that context, Paul is talking to the Christian. He's talking to the Christian who will face temptation in this life. And he is encouraging those who originally read the letter and us today that when that happens, there will be an avenue of escape. Now Jesus has provided for us a way of escape. Now, within that context Paul was talking about, he's talking about everyday living as a Christian. But we have to first get out of the valley of sin to be a Christian, don't we? Jesus did that for us. One David did not have at the time he lived. David didn't have that escape, that particular avenue. Oh, he had, he had the process by which it could be counted to him as righteousness, and he had to fulfill that. But it was not until Christ died on the cross that his blood washed away David's sin. See, David didn't have the Messiah. It's just like Job speaking of the, uh, the, the one who would come, the daysman who would come and would be a mediator for him. One day he said, that'll happen. Now, Job had to be faithful to the patriarchal law and it was counted to him as righteousness. But Jesus has provided for us the way out of sin. We understand what the plan of salvation is. See, it starts with this confidence that we believe Jesus is who He said He was. John 8, 24. We have to have a belief in Him that He is the Son of God, that He left heaven to save us, to help us overcome just as David overcame. John 8, 24. Understanding that, we need to want to repent. See, when David came to the the clear-minded realization and he was able to look at himself the way God wanted him to look at himself, he decided he needed to repent. Now David had to confess those faults that he committed. We repent in this life, we determine we're not going to live that way any longer, and then we confess our belief that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, Romans 10.10, Acts 8.37. We're immersed in water, so we can come into contact with that soul-saving blood that Jesus shed. It's it's an illustration. It's a figurative spiritual coming into contact. And it happens through obedience. It happens to be, under the Christian dispensation, God requires baptism. And of course, faithful living. One's confidence in God's ability to love us and to provide for us a way of escape when we face the trials and tribulations of this life that we can be forgiven, must lead to confession of sin. That's kind of the bottom line, isn't it? David did that. He understood God was not looking for an excuse for what he did. 
He understood God wasn't looking for an alibi. He understood God didn't want to hear all the bad things that happened to him in his life growing up. Maybe his parents didn't treat him exactly the way he wanted them to treat him. He wanted David to own the sin, admit to the sin, take care of the sin. That's all God asked. Is He asking something that is impossible? And that's what the Christian must do. And that's what David did. David overcame. Now that doesn't mean God would not punish. Because God punished David. He lost a child. Because of his sin. But what it does mean is that God will provide forgiveness and salvation. Do you know David acknowledged God's justness in the punishment that he delivered? Psalm 51 verse 4. So that's the same thing we have to do in the Christian age. John talked about that. First John 1 verse 9. If we'll confess our sins, God is just to forgive us. But he won't. What if David had simply ignored Nathan or had Nathan put to death? Because let me tell you, those things happened later on in the nation of Israel. But not with King David. When we allow God to cleanse us, great things happen. I want us to think about that. See, last Sunday we talked about the giant who slew David. But see, we don't want to stop there. We want to see the end of the story. We want to see the rest of it, right? We want to understand what confessing sin and repenting and being obedient to God, what that does for us. The mountain of guilt is removed. Condemnation is taken away. We're freed from the voice of the accuser. Our sin is buried. God removes the penalty of sin, Romans 6, 23, when we're obedient. He restores the joy we receive in His fellowship. And we can move on out of the valley. Don't we need to move out of the valley and move on to the mountaintop and stay there as long and as often as we can? David did not stop in the valley deciding there was simply nothing he could do because there were things he could do. And he knew that they were difficult, but they were worth it. Wasn't it worth the confrontation? Wasn't it worth his realizing that sin brings with it consequences and because of all of those things he was cleansed and brought back into a right relationship with God? Where are we at today? Let's think about that. Where are we at today? Are we suffering in the valley of guilt and shame? Are we in the valley where... Where there's no peace and joy? Maybe. David accepted the grace and the mercy that God offered. But he had to accept it according to what God offered, right? And because of that, he didn't pay the price that God demands for sin. Now, let's understand. The price was paid, but not by David. Jesus paid the price. He paid the price for David. He pays the price for us. David's son Solomon reminded, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper. But whoso confesseth and forsaketh them 
shall have mercy, Proverbs 28, 13. God offers mercy today, and He offers it every single day that we have life in this world. If you're in the valley, come out of the valley. You don't have to stay there. God will forgive you for the sins you've committed. If you own the sin, you acknowledge the sin, and you repent of the sin. If you need to answer the Lord's invitation this day, whether through initial obedience, and we talked about that, or whether coming back to Him in confession, let that be known as we stand and as we sing.